I'll be honest, I've been wanting to have this conversation for quite some time. Today's guest has one of the best podcasts out. I love the way that she breaks down her thoughts and views on society, uh, how she looks over the entire culture and really gives her us her perspective. And so we are blessed today to have this conversation with Jalen Farr of the Garden in the Desert podcast. And uh, I think you'll be blessed by this conversation. Enjoy. Make sure you share this with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to both podcasts and leave us a comment and a rating on Apple iTunes. Enjoy. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Listeners, we are here for another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. Uh, you know, every week I want to make sure that we're highlighting great podcasts that are in the culture. And today I have a guest on the line with one of the best podcasts out, Garden in the Desert Podcast with Jalen Farr. Jalen, are you there? I am here and I am so flattered. Thank you for that introduction. That was amazing. Well, you have a great podcast. I didn't. Ca- I saw a new episode came out today, and I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. But tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your podcast. Yeah, so I'm Jalen Farr. I'm originally from the Washington D.C. metro area. I'm a millennial. I'm an only child. I'm an aspiring writer, uh, and you know, I'm just another person out here in this world trying to figure herself out, trying to figure out other people (laughs) and just trying to figure out how to be the best person that I can be and you know I had never really thought about podcasting for myself even though I've always been a great communicator that's one of my strengths for sure and honestly I sent my mom a podcast one day and she was like you know you should do a podcast and in that moment this this light just went off and I was like you know I think there's a lot of people out there that feel maybe bombarded by the media, social media, and all this information that our brains are consuming every single day. And I do feel like there really was and is a need for more in-depth thinking or more in-depth analysis. And so that's just what I wanted to do with my podcast was choose topics that are relevant to our culture, society, men, women, all races, all ages, 
and really dissect some of these issues a little bit more deeply than what you're just getting from a quick story post or a quick tweet, just an opportunity to kind of go into issues a little bit deeper. And so that's what I try to do on the show. And I just did post an episode. You're absolutely right. My latest episode was on religion, Christianity for African-Americans, Sunday service. And, you know, are we really Christian or are we? Oh, I like it. I like this topic. (laughs) Or are we, you know, have we been to some degree indoctrinated into a certain belief system that may or may not be the best belief system for who we are as individuals, whether you're black or white or young or old? You know, I think it's time that we start to really evaluate these beliefs that we have and figure out why we believe the things that we do. Awesome. I love it. So hold on. You you gave me a lot here. So let's <laughs> see where I want to go with this. Why is the podcast called Garden in the Desert? Where did that name come from? So the name came because I live in Las Vegas. I live in Nevada and it's the desert. Like <laughs> that, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> like I can't if you have you been to Vegas? You ever been? I have not been to Vegas yet, but I plan on it. So one thing that you notice when you go to Vegas for the first time is if you're not used to this climate, you're gonna notice like you feel differently. You feel dehydrated. Your skin feels dry. And so when you think about the desert, you don't think of it being a place where things grow or um, where progress happens. It's pretty stagnant. And so I thought to myself, well, you know, I might be in this place that isn't the most desirable for me from like the aesthetic or the external sort of point of view, but there's still an opportunity for me to grow as a person and to um, kind of put my roots down and discover myself and discover other people. And so I just wanted to name my podcast something that would inspire people to know that it doesn't really matter like where you are in your life or where you might be living. You know, we all have situations that might not be perfect, but you can still thrive and you can still grow into whatever you want to be. And so I just wanted to kind of show that message through the name of my podcast. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, I'm a big Tupac fan. It reminds me of a, a rose that grew from concrete. Yes. He had, this, he had this poem. And so I really, I really enjoy the name just on the premise of, of uh, the, the comparison there. Um, so then you are saying that you like to dive deeper in the topics. So where does that passion come from? Because a lot of people are surface people. They'll just take whatever comes to them on the surface. So why are you different? where you want to dive deeper into some of the topics in the culture? (laughs) You know, I wish I had an answer for that question because surface level people drive me mad. I can't take it. And that's why (laughs) I think I have a hard time um, fitting into certain social groups or certain social just expectations because I just want, I've always been that way. I mean, I was just a very curious child, very smart child. I, I was that girl, you know, I was the girl that had the straight A's that was the smartest kid in the class, the smartest kid in the school. You know, I was the kid that everybody was like, Oh, you know, why you gotta do so well, make everybody else look bad. Like I was that mm-hmm. kid, you know? And so I just, I don't know. I've just always been inquisitive and I just always wanted to know why things are the way they are. And I don't know if you believe in astrology and people do and people don't, but I'm a Scorpio and that's a very Scorpio trait is to be very (laughs) deep digging and just, you know, they say we make great investigators or just great like FBI people because we just, I just genuinely want to understand. I, I love to learn. I love knowledge. And, you know, I think as I got older and I started to realize that so many people and 
so many things that are idolized or praised in our society are just so superficial and surface level. I just, it almost, it made me sad, but then it also made me like who I am and be happy with myself more because I realized I am so unique because I do want to know more. I do want to take that extra step. And, you know, it may not be realistic for me to expect that the entire world will want to do what I do, but that's okay because I can do it and then I can share it and I can kind of be that, that that middle medium between like the surface level and the deep because I can pull other people in and say you know what sometimes it is important to be superficial sometimes things aren't that serious but sometimes they are and sometimes they need they deserve that extra moment of your time to really appreciate life because life comes and goes so quickly and so many of us don't take the time to really deeply appreciate the richness that it has to offer very deep, very deep answer. So as I'm listening to you, I'm starting to think, okay, you really like to dive in deep to these topics. One of the topics you tackled on an earlier episode was about uh, toxic relationships. Uh, so, you know, that episode to me was, uh, to me, it was very enlightening uh, that a lot of people rely on, um, it's like they can't be alone. And sometimes what ends up happening is they get addicted to that toxic person because they they rather be in a toxic toxic relationship and actually have a companion than to be alone and healthy. Uh, What was your takeaway once you finished that episode and some of the feedback that you received on that episode? I realize exactly what you're saying. You know, a lot of people. Well, first off, (laughs) and I made that point pretty early in the episode is that. You know, if you're in a relationship, I know people say like, oh, you're such a pessimist. But if you're in a relationship right now, like the odds are that it's probably toxic. I made the mistake, you know, in my younger years being a serial dater. And I can fully admit that. And I would make the mistake of I would meet a person and I would like that person for whatever reason. Right. Could be the personality, could be the connection, could be anything. And so then I then took my feelings of like for this person. And now I'm going balls to the walls with them like I'm like oh yeah this is the person for me like we're doing this we're gonna make this happen and it's like I look back on my life and some of the relationships that I've been in and some relationships that have gone south and I'm like how could my life have been different or how could my peace have been different if I had taken the time to know myself more and then also get to know the other person instead of instantly romanticizing or idealizing this person who has come into my life. And that's not to say that you can't meet some incredible people because you can, but we live in a society right now that I think is very, I want it here and I want it now. And you start to put that expectation onto people. And when you start to put that onto people, you start to lose a grasp of what that person might really be about or what their purpose in your life might be. And that's just the feedback that I got was so many people were like, you know, I relate to this so much because either I myself have been a victim of a toxic situation or I myself have been the toxic perpetrator. And that's the hardest thing that I think to swallow is I think it's so easy to look back on your relationships and say like, oh, well, he wasn't a shit or she was this or she did me dirty or he cheated or she lied or whatever. And it's like, at the end of the day, we have a hand in everything that happens to us, whether it's personal, professional, social, we are our own makers of our own reality. And so if you're finding yourself in situations that aren't turning out so great, 
you have to take a look in the mirror and say, you know what, what am I doing? What mistake am I making to find myself in these situations over and over again? No, it doesn't excuse a person from mistreating you or, you know, doing you wrong or whatever, because people are, we're fucked up. We're fallible. That's just the truth of it. But like you have absolutely 100% control over what you allow into your space and what you condone. And a lot of us are condoning behaviors that deep down we know may be wrong or we're not comfortable with it. But like you said, we're doing it because we're like, well, it's better than being alone. Or you've developed these feels like, oh my God, I love this person so much. I can't leave this person now. And it's like, boo, why why can't you? Mm. It's, it's, it's actually... Let me ask you this, because this is something I kind of walked away with, and I, it's something that's been on my mind for quite some time. I usually don't talk about relationships and things like that. It's just never really, you know, a topic that I get into. So with you being here, it gives me this opportunity because it was on one of the episodes you had. Why do people, I've, I've noticed a lot of people say, oh, you know, I don't date any of my friends or I don't see my friends that way. And here's why I'm asking, asking this question. I've noticed a lot of people will shun their friends of the opposite sex or same sex or whatever they're interested in. They'll say, oh, that's just a friend. But this person, you know, that's a potential person. But they know nothing about this person. Mm -hmm. They know they know uh, all they know is, like you said earlier, uh, the aesthetics of the situation. They know the aesthetics of what they what appears to be what they like. But you have your friends sitting right here that you've known for five years, you have a deep connection with, but you can't get your mind to see them more than a friend. Mm -hmm. To me, the true foundation of any relationship should be a friendship. I really believe that instead of dating, we should just be friends. And then through friendship, if something were to blossom, then you, you know, you can act on that and decide, okay, well, we're growing at the same speed or we're growing together. You know, let's take this to another level. I don't understand why we just hop into dating situations and say, you know, in our minds, we categorize it and we're like, okay, this person's a friend and this person's definitely more, but I don't know anything about them, but they're definitely more than a friend. So I would chalk that up to a couple of things. The first I think is the human need to categorize and compare. So like, if you look at human beings from an evolutionary standpoint, we had to learn how to categorize and compare things really, really quickly quickly for our safety. So like, for example, as a member of a certain tribe, a new tribe shows up on our land. I have to be able to look at that member of that other tribe and discern really quickly <laughs> if that is a friend or foe and so as we've evolved over the course of human history we've begun to make those decisions rapidly from everything from like do I want to eat an apple today or an orange today to is this person a potential romantic partner or not what the danger I think I I agree with you 100% I mean if I could go back in life and like be friends with people first I would have saved myself so much drama I don't even like want to that's that's that you're absolutely right to be friends with someone if you talk to anybody who knows anything professional about relationships like marriage counselors and all of that they'll tell you exactly what you're saying they're saying be friends first and then if something blossoms then great if not stay friends but i think well the other thing about humans is that we are we're slaves to our own impulses in a lot of ways and it really takes a lot of self-reflection 
to be able to not act on impulse. And so what ends up happening is the people who you meet and you make that snap judgment like, oh, this is a friend. You're making that deduction very quickly because you're probably not that attracted to them from a physical standpoint. Then you're meeting people in the world who you don't know from jump, from scratch for shit. And you feel this immense attraction, but that attraction is just physical. That's just your blood or your hormones saying like, oh, this person is is enticing me sexually. And so what happens, we also have to be honest. And I used, this is so crazy because when I was younger, I was like, I did not believe this. I was like, doesn't matter when you sleep with somebody, you can sleep with somebody on the first date or the 30th date. If they ain't shit, they ain't going to be shit. It's not going to matter. And I still stand by that. Like, I don't think that the sex in and of itself it doesn't change the two people or change the connection. But what ends up happening is that we start to overvalue the sexual connection. And so we start to be a fool or start to ignore the other red flags. So like, and I can go for either gender. Like as a man, you meet a woman and you think she's like incredibly beautiful. And so you've already made that deduction about her beauty in your mind. So now if maybe she does a few things that you're like, oh, you know, I don't know. But your your judgment is clouded because you're putting that overemphasis on that superficial topic. And as much as I would love to tell you that I think that humans could overcome that. I think that we can, but I don't see us doing it because it's so much easier. The brain wants to do as little work as possible. It doesn't want to think deeply. It doesn't want to reason deeply. It wants to be able to make decisions as efficiently as possible. So being able to meet people and say, romance, friend, friend, foe, ugly, pretty, black, white, old, young, we're doing that constantly throughout the day. And so to be able to check that and rein that in and be more introspective is really hard for a lot of people to do. And I think that that's why we find ourselves. I know people, for example, who are married to people who they probably shouldn't be married to. Mm hmm. I know yep. people who are, you know, dating people or in business, even not even forget the romance, even just in business with people who they probably shouldn't be in business in. But we're making all these snap decisions based on impulses and not actually taking the time to get to know people. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies growing up, which I probably shouldn't have been watching at the time. Uh, Terminator 2. <laughs> and uh, like they, he had this little thing. I don't know how it worked, but. I guess they programmed the chip in his mind. So then when he's viewing somebody, all the statistics come through. Mm-hmm, his eyes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, oh, this person's six foot tall. Oh, he'd be the perfect person to beat up and take his jacket. This person uh, is smoking, you know, this, this and this. You know, this is not a good person. It's also the same thing as the movie Species. She would do the same thing in the movie Species when she was looking for somebody to mate with. She can quickly see in her eye that, all the statistics of a person and then she could choose you know who she wanted to uh bear children with and it just kind of reminds me of kind of how we are as humans we we really want to know who somebody is within seconds yes so instead of actually getting to know someone before the words even come out of their mouth we've already decided the whole entire storyline yes based off of preconceived notions that uh, that have been embedded into our minds and the, the the dangerous part about that is a lot of times those uh, pre- preconceived notions come from our media, which is actually yes. a, a, a lot of times it is uh, programmed to make you see somebody a certain way. Yes. To make you see somebody who's black a certain way, Spanish, yes. white. It, it makes you wonder why, you know, certain things happen in courtrooms where a white defender is treated differently than a black defendant because possibly we've been programmed to view 
one is better than the other. Absolutely. I would say not even possibly. We've definitely, we've, we've been programmed to place value on everything. I mean, you can, everything from, I'll give you an example. Where I live in Las Vegas isn't considered the best neighborhood, right? When I go to the strip and people who are locals ask me where I live, we're like, oh, 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 God. Like they, they act like right. they act like it's unfathomable to believe that someone could like live a normal, safe, productive life on my side of town. And I'm like, well, have you even been to my side of town? Do you even come here? Do you even eat here? Do you even know? Or do you just stay on your side of town? where you're told that this is better or the media tells you that that's a good side of town because that's where all this is or that don't come to my don't go to that side of town and and I'm not gonna sit here and say that like their fears are totally you know not based in any form of reality but it's just like so many people are making these judgments because some external force is telling them that that's what they should believe like oh you make this amount of money you should go move to this kind of neighborhood because that's the kind of neighborhood that somebody like you is supposed to be in and it's like well why if I'm comfortable here if I like going to Popeye's if I like going to the beauty supply if I like leaving out the house and seeing people who look like me why is that a problem because I make a certain amount of money I shouldn't live amongst people who look like me and if you're not careful and if you're not strong-willed and if you don't have a strong mind you'll let people start writing your story for you absolutely where, where you're in conversations with people and they're like oh no you you're not you're not best for that. You need to go do that. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll go do that. And then they kind of could, you know, possibly send you down a path that was never meant for you. Mm-hmm. Now you wasted five or 10 years or maybe even three weeks on something that was never meant for you because the opinions of others outweighed your own intuition and understanding of your own self. That's why it's so important to have knowledge of self so you can understand well, what, what is it I'm rooted in and what is it that I can understand about me that is best for me? Not anybody else's opinion, but what's best for me? I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, my one of my biggest regrets in life is that, you know, it's just taking, I think, I think I have an issue with the way we teach kids in our society and the way that we structure like high school and college, because I just, I look back on myself, you know, it's been about 10 years, I'll be 26 in a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. I look back on my life. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so blessed to make it this far. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I've like run through like a marathon. <laughs> like, you better turn 50. I, I feel like, I'm like, oh my God, I have to do this two, three more times. Like, Jesus right. Christ. But Now, you know, I've been talking about Sip and Share Wine for quite some time. Now you have a chance to enter for a free giveaway. The Conjurer bottle, which is the old vine Zinnavel, is now available uh, for a free giveaway. Here's how you enter. You follow Sip and Share Wines over on Instagram. That's Sip and Share Wines. You like the post that is tagged giveaway and you tag at least five friends. Comment below that post and share with us your favorite red wine. Now for a bonus entry, Tag two more friends with an additional comment. This giveaway closes October 31st at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Winner will be announced on November 1st in the Sip and Share Wine story with a direct message. By entering, participants confirm they are of the age of 21 or older, open to U.S. residents only. Now, back to the show. It's like I look back on my life, you know, and I think about I think about being 17, 16 years old and having, you know, that intuition, like you said, about like 
where you want to go to college, what you want to do. And, and, you know, it's like you have all these external forces from like your parents, your friends, your teachers, your guidance counselors, society, the media, all telling you like what you should or you shouldn't do. And I just feel like, how can you expect a 17 year old to be able to navigate all that and make Mm. the best decisions long term for their whole like you're asking a 17 year old to choose a field of study that they're then supposed to continue on for the rest of their lives it's crazy ain't it it makes no it just makes no sense to me and like look and i'm not gonna say that like i think that every decision that i've made and every job that i've had every failure every loss i feel like it's brought me to the point that i need to be so i don't regret it but you can't help but look back and say you know what that person who told me that writers don't make money I shouldn't listen to that person. That person who told me that I should be thankful that I got a full academic scholarship to a state university and that I shouldn't pursue an Ivy League education because it would cost me so much money. Maybe they were wrong. You know what I mean? It's like you all we all have to make these choices. And I'm not saying that an Ivy League education is better than a state or whatever. It all just breaks down to who you are as a person. And when you're listening to other people's input and not listening to your your own self you will end up going down paths that might not be best suited for you yeah because a lot of people project their fears yes they project their fears onto you yes and then you end up trying to conquer fears that never were your own fears they were never yours to begin with Mm-mm. now you're battling things that that were never that are imaginary yeah and so yeah I, I can definitely understand that you you mentioned something uh, about you know uh, school and how we're raised. Do you how do you view public school versus private school as far as society homeschooling? What would be a way that if you decide to have kids or if you do have kids, what would be a direction that you might go in? <laughs> I always I used to get, <laughs> I'm just laughing because I always get myself into trouble with this one because oh, I boy. I always get into these debates because I've never gone to a public school. So so I went okay. to a public university. I went to a state, I went to University of Maryland, which is a huge public university. And I think that that was really great for me. But my early childhood, middle school and high school, I was always in uh, private schools. So I have no concept of what a public school experience is like. Um, And so people are often like, well, if you didn't go to it, like, how do you, why are you so like against it? And it's like, I just think private schools are better. Um, not because you have to pay. I mean, I think that the paying part is what makes it very problematic because not everybody's parents can afford to send them to a private school. My parents really couldn't afford to do it, but my mom felt like I'm from the DC metro area. DC public schools are terrible. That's just a fact. That's not my opinion. That's long been documented and researched and discussed in the media. And so for me to be successful, my mother felt like, I had to go to a private school. I had to be in an environment which would be more structured that would offer me a little bit more of the specialization. And I think that for me, when it comes to me having my own kids, I honestly, I'll probably put them into private school and high school because I do think that the socialization aspect is needed for young adults. But I would probably homeschool my kids because it's it's such a time commitment. And again, this is as, I'm speaking as someone who doesn't have kids. So if you're a mother, you're raising these kids. You're like, girl, ain't nobody got time for that. Like, <laughs> you're like, girl. Okay. You're like... <laughs> your, your mind can change in five years. This is just as of today. This is how you feel. But, you know, I just feel like 
I look at, and I hate to use celebrities as an example, but I look at like Kanye West, right? Okay. And okay. I, I look at like the level of exposure to, to music that his daughter Northwest is getting, you know, from like such a young age. And it's like, I crave that specialization because I think what happens in these schools is that they teaching you all this general stuff. They're teaching you like general math, which you need to know. Math is important. General mm-hmm. reading. You need to know that reading is important, but then they're bogging you down with things that like maybe aren't important to you. Like for example, why do I need to know white American history? Like, mm. yeah, I should know like some things like, you know, I should, I should know the general, the, the, the general analysis, but like, there's so well, many what, other histories to know, right? Like what well, about what African history? Right. Well, well yeah. Cause I mean, Christopher, if you teach me Christopher Columbus, are you going to tell me the full truth? No. If you teach me about the native Americans, are you going to tell me the full truth? No. And so when we get to the African-American history, the first thing you tell me is they were slaves and they came over. Great. Like, first of all, who is they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just jump. You skip all these years and magically they're just slaves. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. You mean to tell me these people were born as slaves? They're not even humans? Like, something's not adding up here. And I actually talked about that in my most recent episode because that's that's what I wanted to I wanted to find out. You know, I was like, okay, Black people are overwhelmingly Christian, right? Like, overwhelmingly. And I found all these statistics about how, like, you know, a lot of, I think it was, like, 70% or more of Black people believe that, like, the Bible is the word of God, like, written by God himself, which to me is, like, preposterous because God doesn't write. But, like, that's what people believe, you know? They believe Mm -hmm. that, like, this came from, this is God's word. And so I was like, okay, but African slaves were not born Christian. Christianity didn't come from Africa, right? So we had to have had a religion before. And yes. I started trying to find out about it. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't Ooh. find anything. I could only, only thing I could find was like articles about how slaves were, quote, resistant at first, mm-hmm. but then ultimately begun to find like peace and happiness with like the message of Christianity of like spiritual basically the belief that all will be repaid in heaven, right? Like spiritual equality, which is really convenient for master when you think about it, because master wants you to believe, like accept your reality as it is now, because in this, this mythical land that's going to be, that you're going to enter when you die, all, all will be right. Like you'll Mm -hmm. be dancing with Jesus and everybody will be free in heaven. And I just thought to myself, they destroyed all record of whatever was being done prior to being indoctrinated into Christianity. And I'm also pretty sure, and I'm not a, you know, I'm like a, not a black history major. And I'm sure that people who study the field and who have access to portals and JSTOR and all of that, they're able to like look at real information. But the fact that this information is not available to the average user of the internet or to the average user of a library, or like you said, you're being taught none of that in school, that's by design. Now, here's what I found. And I don't have it in front of me, but this is this we stumbled across a great conversation. I found that through the course of history, there's been many storylines uh with the same storyline as who they call Jesus. There's, uh, for one example, there it was a, a Egyptian god by the name of Horus, mm-hmm. and he died at age 33. He started his, um, uh, he went off on his own at 12. Uh, he, uh, he, he's known to walk on water. I mean, literally, 
the entire Jesus story was also Horace's story. And so, and Horace was before there was ever a Jesus. This is, this is Egyptian time. This was, uh, you know, recorded during their time. And then when you, there's a couple of videos on YouTube that I can send you as well. There's 30 other, you know, quote unquote, uh, gods out there with the same storyline as Jesus. And so as of present day, what we call Jesus, uh, maybe a hundred years ago, that, well, hundred, not, not long enough, but maybe a thousand years ago, they would have called somebody else this. And a thousand years before that it would have been this. And so uh, there is uh, some study that, okay, what, what is potentially being presented to us, uh, there's no factual uh, record of any of it actually happening. It's just passed down stories with redeveloped names, uh, you know, uh, uh, embedded in them. And then here's another thing. Let's say if we do agree that Christianity is real. Let's just say we did. If it is real, then why do you have a King James Version that is taking out certain books of the Bible? If this is a written, written, uh, inspired written word of God, why were there certain books that you decided that aren't suitable for mm-hmm. the general public? Mm-hmm. So if you want to play your game, then we'll play your game. And then how come in your Bible it, it literally says uh, that the true originators of the land were the Negroes? The Negroes were the original people based on the Bible that they're presenting us. It tells us that the Negroes are different from the Africans and that they are true, truly the uh, claimers of Israel. And so that's what it says in the Bible. If we even want to, you know, play that game of, of, you know, you know, studying the Bible. So there's a lot out there for us to consider when it comes to religion. And, you know, I don't ever want people to think that I think that, like, these religious texts don't have value because they do. I mean, <laughs> I remember a couple of weeks ago I was posting Bible quotes on Instagram and people were like, oh, you're reading the Bible? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and I'm like, yeah, guys, like, I read it. Just because I read it doesn't mean I take it as fact, though. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, I think that there's a lot of good advice in the Bible. I think there's a lot of really great advice in the Bhagavad Gita. I think there's a lot of really great advice in the Quran. Like, I think that these these religious figures who have done this deep thinking, I think that their views are, are important and worth reading and worth exploring. But speaking of abridged versions of the Bible, oh, when, I, when I was doing my reading, research i found abridged versions of slave bibles facts that omitted that omitted just like what you're saying about king james they omitted certain books and certain passages because Mm -hmm. they didn't want the slaves to incite riot exactly and what i oh god it made me so angry i like i had to like walk away from my computer because when you like try to find them, like record of them, there's very only like a handful maybe left in the world. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, y'all colonized the whole Caribbean, the whole yep. of North America, the whole of South America, and y'all only got like five of these Bibles left. But y'all, mm-hmm. y'all converted like hundreds of millions of people. Like, get the fuck out of here. Y'all destroyed it because you know it makes you look bad because it was, it was bad. And it's, and I get it. Like, if you're a Christian and that's what you believe and that's what you want to continue to follow, I'm not here to to tell you that you're wrong or to dissuade you. I have lots of friends who are very religious of all skin colors, all races. And one of my Caucasian friends actually we were talking about it. And she's like, you know, I don't have an issue because she had told me she had dated a guy in the past who would tell her, you're stupid. You're stupid for believing in that. That's not real. That's stupid. And she's like, you know, ultimately the person who I end up with has to accept me and accept, you know, like what I believe, even if they don't believe the same thing. But she's like, you know, to me, I look at it this way. I could be wrong. 
there could be no Jesus. There could be no heaven. There could be no hell. If I'm wrong, well, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm dead, right? Like, it's, it's nothing. It doesn't, bad, it doesn't matter either, either or. But she said, what if I'm right? Then if I'm right, I get to live, you know, the rest of my life or my eternity with my savior, which makes me happy. And I thought that that was really profound because it like, it doesn't, I think people get so hung up on like, is it real and does it matter? And I don't think that it does. I think it's just, it's more based on what brings you happiness in this life. And if believing in Jesus or reading the Bible makes you happy, makes you a better person, gives you faith, then do it. But on the converse, if it doesn't resonate with you, like it took me a while to accept that, like, you know what, I'm forcing this. I'm mm. for I'm forcing myself to to believe or try to believe in something that I just don't. I'm I'm not my personality doesn't make me capable of believing in non-material things. If I can't mm. see it, if I can't touch it, it doesn't it just doesn't exist to me. And that's okay. I'm allowed to believe that and feel that way. And if other people, you know, want to believe in something else, then they should. I just want to caution African-Americans or people of color in the Americas specifically, because when you look at how religious we are and you compare it to how not that religious white people are, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you, it, you can't help but, but look at the brainwashing. Like it was designed to keep us content and to keep us in check and then they're operating on a totally different standard of morals and behavior yeah i mean they currently have you uh every day waking up at a certain time and here's the thing and i know this may shock people time isn't real time is made up Mm -hmm. the only thing that is real on earth are seasons Mm -hmm. that's the only thing nature is what's real And, and we've caught it and got brought into a society where they they're telling us what time it is they're telling us the calendar which the calendar isn't real they're giving us pagan holidays which you know majority of them are based off of pure filth. and so at some point you have to at least especially if you're listening to this podcast or listening to your podcast you got to do some critical thinking here uh, something's not adding up if you are just going to go along with everything that's ever told to you and you know goodness well these people are lying every day there's new stories coming out all the time mm-hmm. where people are lying to you you don't think they lied about something a lot bigger than you know Jesse Smollett <laughs> there's, Trust more, me. there's more to this story than what meets the eye then no I mean I agree completely and I think the unfortunate part and the insidious part about society is that they make you feel like there's something wrong with you when you start mm. to question these power structures or reality. It's like they make it seem like, like I think this is a random example, but I think about when people were riding Kyrie Irving because he like made some comment about like the earth not being round or something. And, and, and like, it doesn't really matter what he thinks about the earth being round or not being round, but it's like, why are y'all so mad about it? Like, why, why is this young man's, choice to believe whatever he wants to believe why does that like why is that taking over your media like why is that why do you care so much does it does it does it affect you does his does his belief system affect you in a tangible way when people get that mad at certain things i always take a step back and i'm like ooh, they might be on to something if people are that mad Mm -hmm. like another thing that got people really mad and i know this is very controversial but you brought his name up kanye west he said uh, slavery was a choice. And every, all the world, everybody was like, oh, my goodness. But I started thinking about it. I said, wait a second. 
technically, technically, <laughs> technically, no, <laughs> technically, everybody calm down. Right, everybody relax. Technically, let, let me get it out. Let me get it out. <laughs> technically, it was a choice. The choice was uh, either be enslaved or be killed. Right. Now, I know that's an extreme choice. To make. Yes. Some people chose, hey, you're going to have to kill me, homie. And I think about how everybody was quoting the end of Black Panther, where uh, uh, Killmonger says, you know, you know, basically, go ahead and kill me now. Uh, uh, I'd rather die than uh, and be thrown over, like, you know, my ancestors who were thrown over the, the ships. Yeah. Uh, ships and all that. So everybody loves that part. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that was so deep. That was so deep. That same thing Killmonger says in that 15 to 30 second speech. It's the same thing that, that Kanye could be saying. He may not have said it as beautifully or as eloquently, but there was a choice. Now, I am so happy for those who uh, chose to, to live and, 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 and keep going because that, potentially, exactly, that <laughs> potentially allowed us to have what we have today. But to say right. that slavery wasn't a choice technically is incorrect. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, everything in life is a choice. Now, granted, your, you know, it might not be a free choice. Like your mind may not be the des- the outcomes, like you're saying, may not be desirable. Like nobody wants to die. But you're absolutely right. I think. Did you ever watch Game of yes, Thrones? Ma'am. Okay, so I'm like, I hate bringing Game of Thrones up because I'm still so salty. About but the last episode. <laughs> Oh, uh, the last season. Like, I can't. I just, oh my god. Well, use your example, then we'll get on Game of Thrones. Let's talk about it. So. I just I think about there's a scene in season five okay. and it's when um, the Dornish king is trying to kind of cozy up to the Lannisters. They want Marcella to marry Tristane and, you know, he doesn't want to avenge the death of his brother Oberyn. He's like, you know, it's what the he's like, I don't want more war. I want to he's like, I would rather be in obedience to the crown than be in rebellion, basically. Mm-hmm. And his brother's ex-wife and their daughters, I think her name is uh, Alaria, Alaria Sand. They basically do a whole coup and they take this fool out. They take the sun out and she looks him in the eyes and she says, I fight for Dorne. Who do you fight for? And like, I think about that so much in like my regular life because it's like, who, who do you, what do you stand for? Who are you? What do you, what do you represent? Because you're right. Are you willing to die for what you believe? Are you willing to give up everything that you have? for your beliefs and i mean this is gonna sound extreme but if you're not then they're not really your beliefs bro mm. okay so let's like people oh. people say like sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but people there's like this social media you know firestorm of like being woke right everybody's like oh i'm so woke and i stand with kaepernick and i stand with this and i stand with that i say but do you really because you're watching the nfl right now do you really because you don't give to your neighbor you don't give back to your community like who do you fight for? What do you stand for? Because I think a lot of us really don't stand for shit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's, it's very easy to, to fake like you care or to fake like you're invested, but ultimately, you know, you're not. And I think that the, the first slaves, whoever they were, I think some of them were like, you know what? I stand for my freedom. And if I can't have that, I would rather die. And some of them said, I stand for my future children and my future generation and I want them to live and I want them to exist. And so I'm going to stay. And both of those choices were valid choices, but to suggest that there wasn't any degree of choice in that, granted, it wasn't like, I'm not saying that you had like the best choice. Yeah, we're not talking about but, like, steak or lobster here. 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. But like, ultimately, yes. I mean, life, your life is a culmination of your choices. Point blank, period. All right. So let's get into Game of Thrones. Now, here's what I'll say about the last season. I know it wasn't what everybody wanted. Okay? <laughs> I, I know. And I know uh, they, they, here's the thing. They built this damn uh, what was his name? The the White Walker? What was, what, uh, they, they built this guy up for basically six seasons. I mean da, na, 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 na. They, they built this thing to be the, the, the match of all matches. And your I'm not good with names, but old girl comes down, kills him in an instant and everybody goes, hold on a second. You mean to tell me I put all my time and effort for the Night King? I guess it's the Night King, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he dies within 10 seconds. All of this for something as cheesy as that. How did you feel about that moment before we get to the actual ending of Game of Thrones? So I'm conflicted about that moment. So in a, in a way, I liked it. I'll start with the positive. So the positive is that a woman is the heroine yeah. right and that's that's, good. that's not something that we see and that's that's what made game of thrones so special to me because it broke so many of the boundaries and subverted so many of the expectations of the fantasy superhero sci-fi genre you have these women who are just as capable as the men and they're fighting for their they're not fighting for the man they're fighting for themselves right and so having Arya deliver that final victory, I think, was important for young girls and for young women and for just the subversion of expectation. What I have an issue with from, and this will tie into what I have an issue with on the whole thing, is I feel like the writers were so desperate to subvert expectation and surprise and catch people off guard that they made storytelling decisions that don't make any sense. Arya has never seen a White Walker until that night. Arya had never had any experience battling White Walkers until that night. It just didn't, and they wanted, and I, I it's weird because it's like, I feel like I'm such a, a, contra, a walking contradiction because on the one hand, I'm like, subvert expectations and like challenge this, the status quo. But then I'm also like, but Jon Snow is the hero. Mm. How do you... How do you how do you set up a character's entire like Jon Snow's entire story arc was I don't give a fuck about nothing except this long night, right? That was his mm-hmm. whole preoccupa- preoccupation for the whole damn show. He died for it. He sent other people to their deaths for it. Like he was about it, right? Mm-hmm. How do how do you not and even if Arya was to be the one to deliver the final blow? How do I not get a final fight scene? How do I not get a fight scene between the prince who was promised and the ultimate evil? Like, it just it just felt very flat. Mm. And then on top of that, which is crazy because I'm, I'm, like, so obsessed with it that I have, like, people who I talk to, like, on the internet about it. And we had, like, so many theories going. And, like, the one theory that everybody who writes agreed on was that the Night King was not the uh, the Night King was not going to be defeated in the Battle of Winterfell. He was going to win that battle. The Starks and all their allies were going to suffer a huge loss, and they were all going to have to head down to King's Landing for like a final showdown between Daenerys, Jon, Cersei, the Night King. Like it was supposed to go like all the like they were supposed to freeze Blackwater Bay. Like it was supposed to like they were supposed to be. <sighs> 
I felt like there was just so much more in that story that they just ignore. Like Game of Thrones also focuses a lot on religion. They talk about the old gods, the new gods, the drowned gods, the Lord of Light, the Night King. And so I just thought that there had to be some kind of like connection to it all or some type of connection to why Bran can like manipulate time. And it just, they just left it all on the table and just were like, we don't want to do this anymore. I just thought it was a really big disservice to, and then what, last thing, what pissed me off even more was when people were complaining about it, certain actors or certain people in the industry were like, well, you guys sound like babies. Like you don't get to tell the creator how to create. And I agree as a creator, it is the creator's right to create the work as he sees fit. But the audience is why you create. Mm. Like you don't make, Shakespeare didn't make plays because he wanted to he made plays for his audience he made them for his queen if his queen didn't like it it didn't it didn't get made and so like how can you tell people who pay money per month to subscribe to a network that uses the money that you pay for your subscription to make content that you don't have a right to vocalize your discontent with the content Mm, i like it now let me let me say here's why i like the last season Here's why I like it. It has nothing to do with the writing. Yes, the writing was horrible. It has nothing to do with the the choices of who did what. Here's why I like it. Because as I'm watching it, I realized something. It kind of clicked like season five. Now, Mm -hmm. up to that point, I said I was all in and I was into the storyline. And then it clicked season five. And then I was so glad how it ended. Because the Iron Throne doesn't fucking matter. It's like everybody is so preoccupied with who runs the world that <laughs> we're fighting for something that doesn't even, it's not, it's imaginary. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're going after this imaginary throne so you can say you sit at it and the way it ended was like, okay, this is perfect because now that we're, we're getting rid of the Iron Throne, everybody's going their separate ways. Can we just live a regular life? Like why? <laughs> like why is everybody so uh, enamored on being at the top of an imaginary world? Yeah, and it's, and so as season five came, because here's here's what here's what clicked for me in season six. So when uh, the 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 dragon lady, what's her name? The uh, Daenerys. There you go. When she was about to um, basically go crazy. Because she realized that she didn't really have an, an, uh, a claim to the throne anymore, right? She ain't never had exactly. a claim to the throne, though. She thought she did. <laughs> oh, she did. Right? So the moment it clicked that, you know, magically in this world, she wouldn't have the claim to it because of birthrights and all the, you know, all the stuff that they tell you, all the rules of having the birthright. I started saying to myself, okay, so all this time, all this all this blood, sweat, and tears, you were going after something that you thought was your purpose that re- really was never your purpose and then you ended up getting mm-hmm. killed for something that was never real? And I, I'm mm-hmm. like, you are stuck inside of a, uh, I mean, I know it's just a show, but let's just pretend that if, if it is real, you're stuck chasing after a, a, a passion or a uh, an end goal that was never really yours. You went down the wrong path. You were supposed to be doing something else for these last five or six years. I don't know what it mm-hmm. was, but it wasn't this. And so when I'm looking, she was my, she's literally my favorite character on the show, other than you know the the short guy. Um, I, I don't you know I don't know names, but so I'm just looking at it like this is actually perfect because it shows 
that none of this stuff ever mattered. Everything she did, it's like I can't like usually when a show ends, I can go back and rewatch it all. Mm-hmm. Like I rewatch The Wire every year. I, I watch The Sopranos. These are shows that I go mm-hmm. back and watch. And the, there's really no reason whatsoever to go back for me to watch Game of Thrones because none of it was real. <laughs> nothing, everything that everybody was fighting for has been burned down. So every, there's no, there's nothing at the end. But that's what makes the those of us who are so upset upset because it's like we had this high hope that Game of Thrones was going to be the game changer for our fantasy genre. Like as a black person trying to convince other black people to watch fantasy is so hard because black people is traditionally viewed as like this white man's fantasy world. And in a, in a way, A Song of Ice and Fire and A Game of Thrones, George R.R. R. Martin's original works are. They're his fantasy. Like he fantasizes about being a guy like Jon Snow. You know, he fantasizes about being a leader, about being a warrior. He fantasizes about chicks as hot as Daenerys. You know what I mean? So, but what made Game of Thrones so tangible to everybody was exactly what you're pointing out, which was that it's so relatable to how we act in the real world, how we all chase these superficial goals of power, money, sexy partners or whatever society is telling you that you should go after and none of it matters like none of it matters you're better off being the person that you feel in your heart now if Daenerys felt that she had I think she truly did believe that that's who she was destined to be and like you said it yes she didn't vote through her brother exactly she was yes she did believe it but she only believed it through proxy she she it was never something that came through her own intuition it was Mm -hmm. something that was planted inside of her and then everybody said well because you know you have these powers it must mean you should be yes and then they were trying to do the same thing to Jon Snow well because you because of this and this and this you must be the person and so everybody so he's pushing it away she's grabbing towards it and it's so sad because even though technically they're related and all that you know all the other stuff you know, these two people appear to actually have loved each other. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 it's a, it's a mess. But here's what I will say, Jalen. Why can't you go write that, that story? Why can't we put some writers together and write, you know, the Black version or at least more, um, more Black people in your version of your own sci-fi? You can put out your own show. You can put out your own characters. Now that you know that they messed it up and they aren't going to go down as the best show of all time, they were they were they were very close. They could have been the best show ever, but instead of being in top ten, it's it might have fell down to top twenty. Yeah, it definitely dropped down for me. You know, I think like, and it's so I'm so happy you said that because that's exactly the silver. Li- I was going to say this anyway. That was the silver lining for me because I know that you said that you kind of you know you're happy with how it ended and like while I'm not happy with how it ended because I feel like it just I just I have a I have a hard time just like accepting the potential that was there because it's like HBO gave these two guys an unlimited budget unlimited episodes uh, like everything at your disposal and like you could have done anything and like that's what you chose to do it just seems like it's just so filled with hubris to me Mm. but in in my personal life I'm thankful for it I'm incredibly thankful for it because one it made me realize that David Benioff and Dan Weiss are not gods Mm. they are just men they are just two guys who take their writing seriously nobody told them oh 
you can't be a, a sci-fi writer. You think these white boys are getting told that they can't make movies and they can't write movies and they can't write scripts? Hell no. They're being told, oh, you like to write? Do it. Do it. I'll read your script. I'll read your this. But you know what they're telling us? They're telling us, oh, a black woman will never get a, a fantasy movie produced. Nobody wants to read fantasy stories by black women. Or, oh, you know, it's so hard to be a writer when you're black, right? Like, nobody nobody interviews black screenwriters. And so when I saw how they literally tanked that season with that terrible writing, mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, I could have wrote that. Exactly. Hell, I could have wrote a million things better than that. And so that's, it's crazy because you're absolutely right. That's what propelled me to take my writing more seriously back in April when that happened. And ever since then, I've been like, yeah, this is attainable. We can do this. The only difference between those guys and us is that they have enough, like, pride in a good way, enough hubris in a good way to where they're like, hell yeah, I could do that shit. Whereas, like, we're scared. To, we're like, oh, my God. I, people are like, I wish I could write something that good. Well, why can't you? And when you really look back on it, because, see, you don't really understand. Now, I ain't going to lie. That first season was magical. Of Game of Thrones? Oh, yes. The first season is beautiful. The first four seasons, I think, still, even with how it ended, I would argue that the first four seasons of Game of Thrones are still some of the best produced, written, and directed television of all time yes it it, it is well written it is well done like the, the first four seasons are beautifully crafted the red wedding i believe is called mm-hmm. is probably one of the best episodes in tv history and mm-hmm. but with all that because of the way that they ended the last two seasons you're right there is a, a opportunity to go down uh, as one of the best writers uh, and create a show that is one of the best, the, the spot is open. And here's the thing, even if they did go down as the best, the spot would still be open. Because yes, it would be. Records are meant to be broken. Yep. And so no matter what would have happened, you as a writer, you know, you say you're aspiring. I don't think you're aspiring at all. I think you're a writer. And so I would love to work with you or have someone else work with you. Let's get your story out there. And maybe it's sci-fi, maybe it's something else, maybe it's a different genre, but the the world is open to us to be able to play any game we want to because they didn't finish the job and now we got to. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting is because you mentioned that you watched The Wire and you watched The Sopranos and those both of those shows have very polarizing endings as well. It's almost like HBO. I was a huge True Blood fan mm-hmm. and that ending was pretty bad too. And so it's just like, it's almost like I think what happens, and as a writer, this is something that I I feel like J.K. Rowling is probably, and Christopher Nolan are probably the two big names that I think did it right. I feel like when they started writing, they had the ending in mind. And I don't, I think George R.R. R. Martin, right, we know he hasn't finished his books. And that was part of the problem is that they, they didn't, cre- David, David didn't create the content, right? Like they, they they adapted these books to the screen, which is a whole is a skill in and of itself to be able to adapt a manuscript and make it palatable for a wide television viewing audience. That's a skill in and of itself. But I look up to people like J.K. Rowling and Christopher Nolan because I'm like, they knew who and how they wanted the story to end. They always knew. They always had that vision outlined. And then they filled in the gaps from behind. Yeah. As opposed to a lot of times, I think with TV, there's this expectation that, it needs to go on forever because I feel like they kept Arya alive a little bit too long, to be honest. 
I feel like they kept they it's when you say season five, I feel like season five of Game of Thrones is where it became more about pleasing the television viewer at the expense of the writing because they're like, okay, well, we can't kill that character off because then people won't watch it. Or like, oh, we can't do this. We have it's like it's almost like they they started to give us exactly what we wanted. And then at the very end they're like, Boop, we're just gonna like, nope, we're gonna go do Star Wars now. Bye. Right. <laughs> and 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 that shows that uh, I mean I'm always gonna love great TV, but what I learned because I, I I put so much time and effort into Game of Thrones because I think it's deep. There's, you and me both. <laughs> it's, it's a very deep show. As too as, much. Uh, <laughs> and so Way too like, much. Well, if I'm not cre- if I'm not creating stuff, why do I care so much? It myself, Except I want to. I want to produce. Like I'm at a place now where it's like I'm producing content. You and I both are, are producers of content. And if I'm not producing something, even if I'm not the Game of Thrones person, I should have at least been writing Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. I should have at least been writing uh, any. You know, Fear the Walking Dead. I could have been uh, writing any of these different shows. And so it's like, okay, it's time for us to get in the game because obviously y'all not y'all don't know right what y'all now. doing, right? <laughs> And so we're gonna have to take over, right? Because y'all so don't know. Yeah, you're so you're so right. It's like they clearly don't know what they're doing, and it's never the great thing about being a writer is that it's never too late. There's writers who started writing their first book when they were in their 40s, their 50s. Like it's never too late to have an idea, study story structure, and make that story into a reality. And it's just really about just believing in yourself. And like you say, you know. I told myself after Game of Thrones ended, I was like, I will never get that invested into anything that I did not create and cannot control. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, I know we're coming towards the end of the show. Do we still have a few minutes where we can talk? Oh, yeah, I'm good. I have, I'm a so, save my free day. <laughs> I want to talk about something that you and I, uh, we messaged each other about. And I found it very funny that I knew that we we're going to have this conversation today and this story came up this week and I wanted to get your take on it so Gina Rodriguez is in the news this week for singing uh, the song from Lauren Hill and the Fugees and saying the word nigger during her uh, I guess she was getting her makeup done and people are upset with Gina Rodriguez because she's not black she's uh, I guess Latino, she's Spanish, she's not black, uh, at least not black enough for, for the, the the general public. I want to know what your thoughts are on this N-word and who can use it, who can't use it. Is, is it all make-believe of, of there being rules? What is your take? I, I have the traditional black perspective on it where I don't believe that non-black people should be using it at all. I look at it this way. If you don't identify as black, you should not be using that word. So you and I talked in, the, in our instant message exchange because I know that you choose not to use that word. And I'm obviously of a different persuasion where I feel like it is my choice to use it and I am going to use it. And I don't, I don't care if people have a problem with me using it because to me, I feel like this. You know whether or not you should use a word. Like, Black people who say nigga, there's a moment in your life as a young adult, young adolescent child, whatever, when the first time you said nigga, it 
came out of your mouth. It, it flowed out of your mouth naturally. There wasn't a hesitation about it. There wasn't a fear about it. There wasn't anxiety about it. It came out of your mouth naturally. I make that same argument for myself when it comes to um, slurs that people might associate with gay people. So I'm a bisexual. I identify as bisexual. I like men and I like women. So being a part of that community, being around my friends who are also LGBT, we may use certain slang words or slurs amongst each other with without it having a derogatory intent because that's a part of the community that we belong to. And these communities have the right to reclaim these words and reuse them if they so choose to because that's the right that you have earned as being oppressed. However, if you don't belong to those communities, you don't need to be saying those words. I'm not Asian. I don't go into Asian neighborhoods and start throwing out Asian curse words. I don't identify as Latina. I'm part Dominican, yes, but I didn't grow up in Latina culture. I didn't grow up in a house where that was a part of my lifestyle. So I don't go out and start throwing out derogatory things about Latinos, right? Because those aren't communities that I belong to. And that's okay. I don't need to belong to that community. I can, y'all can say whatever y'all want to say and I can have the respect to shut the fuck up and not say it. So no, I don't think, I mean, I don't know the the girl, Gina Rodriguez, that, well, I don't know her history. I know someone had mentioned to me a few days ago that she's been in other situations where she's made comments that I guess people find <laughs> pretty distasteful. And so my advice to her would be to just shut up. Shut up. Yeah. Shut, shut up. up. Nobody because cares. She... She obviously, I'm not sure if she's racist or not, but she obviously thinks she's black. And she obviously, like, you know, I think about Fat Joe, um, the rapper, was talking a few weeks ago saying that he feels perfectly fine saying it. He grew up in uh, the Bronx and, you know, that's what they did. And he, you know, he doesn't consider himself black, but, you know, I, I guess he's Latino, he's Cuban, he's something. And so he he feels okay with it. Some people were upset about that as well. And you know, I it's not that I choose not to say uh, nigga. I just don't like being called it. I mean, there may be certain times in a conversation where I may use it. Um, mm-hmm. To say that I never use it would be you know inaccurate. But uh, I just don't like someone calling me that when there's there's so many other things that you could call me. Um, but who can say it and who can't? I, I'm, I don't have the energy to police it. I don't have the energy to, to, to figure out if this person, you know, is meaning it in a good way or a bad way and then telling them if they can or cannot. But what I will say is I, I know the difference between if someone is paying me a compliment mm-hmm. or if they're being very disrespectful to me. Now, was Gina Rodriguez you know, being disrespectful, I don't know, but here's what I do know. Every three to four months, there's something new with her. It's always and and the thread seems to be uh, a disdain or something towards black culture. And I think she really needs to do some type of uh, internal work and really start speaking with people within the community so she can get a, a, a bigger understanding of why people are viewing her a certain way. Mm-hmm. At, at, at some point, she's going to lose her audience. And when that audience disappears, especially in this world, you have no more. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I would caution her uh, to do whatever it takes and make sure it's genuine. 
to make sure you don't lose black culture because once you lose black culture that's pretty much it yeah and i would extend that same advice to all my latino friends all my spanish-speaking friends like i you know I stand a little bit more in that in middle ground because, like I said, being part Dominican, I know that a lot of Dominicans use the word. A lot of some Dominicans do identify as black, some don't. And so I don't have necessarily an issue with people who I don't have. Like I said, I think it boils down to me for your culture and like what you were raised around Mm -hmm. and what you're about. Like, you know, if it fits into your culture or not. But what I think is happening is a lot of people are internalizing the messaging of hip hop culture, which has some for some reason been like branded as like black culture when it's not. And so it's not. they're like, it's, it's, it's a segment of black culture. It's but not it our not culture. culture. And so and it's not controlled by us. It's not distributed by us. It's not we're not paid for it. Like white people are profiting off of hip hop culture. And so it's like, oh, that's a whole nother a whole nother episode. And so it's <laughs> like when you when you they're making the argument like, oh, well, my favorite rapper says it. And it's like, well, boo, I ain't your favorite rapper. Do I look like Young Thug to you? Mm. Do I? Do I? Do I like Travis Scott to you? I love those guys too. But at the end of the day, they don't speak for us. They don't speak, they don't speak for the black community. So maybe what you should do, instead of thinking about whether you can or can't say nigga, maybe you should go out and get some real black friends in the real black neighborhood. And then you'll know whether or not you should be saying it or not. But it sounds to me like you're living off in your little suburb or wherever the fuck you're from. And you think because you're seeing some shit on TV, you can then go out into the real world and say it. And the real world, my friend, ain't that shit you've seen on tv and you need to wise up you need to wise up quick because you need to be careful who you say the words that we say matter and the same way i wouldn't go up to a woman who i don't know and speak to her in a derogatory manner you don't go up to anybody and speak to them you need to it's it's crazy how people have forgotten like simple decorum and like professionalism like i'm not gonna go up to people i don't know and start saying crazy stuff like mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just not. And they're doing it every day. Every out here. day, it's, it's crazy. It's like, and then you, and then you want to be mad when people don't like you. People don't want to watch your movies. People, it's like you can't, like you said, it comes back down to audience. It comes back down to you can't, you can't just think that you're gonna push yourself onto people and they're just gonna accept whatever you put out. You have to, to a degree, mm. you have to understand your audience and you have to make yourself agreeable to them. So if that me, if the world is having this conversation about who should say it and who shouldn't say it and you don't you don't have no stake in that community shut up mm, i like it jalen Farr. I, I appreciate you coming on the black equity podcast you dropped a lot of gems on us today uh please let everybody know where they can go to listen to your podcast get in touch with you and possibly work with you in the future. So you can find my podcast on pretty much every platform that podcasts are available. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. The podcast is called A Garden in the Desert. You can also follow me on SoundCloud. I like using SoundCloud the most just because SoundCloud is just so fun. So you can listen to me on SoundCloud as well. You can send me an email. My Gmail address is desertgardenpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also send me a message on Instagram. It's jalen.far. And I'm sure he will link all of that information somewhere on this podcast. So if you forget it, you can find it. And if you have topic ideas or anything that's been bothering you and you want to talk to me anonymously, I'm totally open to that too. You can send me an email and we can just chat it up.
I might have to send you an anonymous uh, email. Please do. I might just do Please that. do. I love, I feel like I love doing things on Instagram, like anonymous polls and stuff. Well, I guess they're not, they're not anonymous because yeah. you know, but like you don't tell people, right, you right. know what I mean? I think it's like people just want to feel like they can talk to people without, we live in this world where everyone feels like they have to be so exposed. And I just like, mm-hmm. I miss the old days of like Mari and like Jerry Springer where like people's faces were like blurred out. Remember? It was like so funny. I, I, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. I, I do remember. <laughs> Thank you, Jalen, for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. The doors are open for you to come back anytime for us to sit down, chop it up about culture. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the show Thank today. you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. You're welcome.